And welcome to this edition of Appalachian Shine, the official podcast of the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm J.C. Swingruber, uh, one of the founders and direct and a director of the uh, organization. And today we're going to have a really fun show. Not, a, not all of them are fun, but we're going to talk. We're going to have a little bit of fun today. Here in the middle of the coronavirus, we have a you know special guest back on the show. We're going to talk today about Appalachian mysteries because we're surrounded by so much cool history and mystery here in central Appalachia. So welcome back, Adam. Thanks for coming back to the show today, buddy. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this. Well, when I decided I was going to do a show about Appalachian mysteries, who else am I going to call? Because you have a really cool website that talks about all, you know, all kinds of mysteries in Kentucky. And you're over in Eastern Kentucky right now, uh, where you live. So, um, yeah, what the, what got you interested? Just to start off with, um, what got you interested in following and tracking and recording a lot of mysteries in uh, Central Appalachia? Well, when I was very very young here in southeastern Kentucky, back in the early seventies, I was out ginseng hunting in the hill behind the house, and just happened to look across the valley to the hill on the other side, and there was a black panther standing over there. Now, black panthers are definitely not common in this area. <laughs> so, after I started researching what, why there would be a, a black panther here, and that it actually was where a airplane had uh, crash-landed out near London, Kentucky, for a uh, carnival that released all the animals. So, once I started telling people what I saw, some of them started telling me about some of the things they had saw and taking me places. And even here in southeastern Kentucky, right on the border with Virginia, we've got uh, Bigfoot sightings, Bigfoot footprints. We've got uh, haunted, I want to say valleys, because more than one house in certain areas are haunted. Uh, we've even got reports of seeing a werewolf here during the cold booming days. So it just... Uh, that Black Panther is what got me started on all this. So you kind of grew up with people around you talking about the mystery and lore right here in these mountains. And you're only, you're just a stone's throw away from Norton and Wise uh, over in Wise County, Virginia. So that, yep. that's pretty much how close you are right there. Um, so now you had a couple of, we're going to talk about two or three different mysteries today. And you had, uh, I was going to go ahead and kind of kick it to you and let you start off with uh, what mystery kind of caught your attention that you want to talk about out of countless mysteries we could go into, we could, we could do an entire series on this, but, um, and we may, <laughs> you never know, Adam, but uh, what, what mystery did you want to start off with tonight? Okay. I was want to start out with one on the other side of Kentucky, just about 10 miles south of Fort Knox. There is a cemetery there. A lot of people growing up in Kentucky don't realize exactly how long people have lived here. And this cemetery is over 300 years old. They were all European settlers that settled in that area. Most of them are families. And the cemetery is called the Grand View Cemetery. It's uh, actually on Old Hardin Road, just uh, south of Fort Knox to the east of Elizabethan. It's a public cemetery. You know, people can go there. It's 
pretty well full. They, don't, they haven't had any burials there for many, many decades. Um, what makes this cemetery so famous is that people will go there to investigate it at night, and they will disappear and never be seen again. Wow, okay. That, yeah, they, I mean, they just completely disappear off the face of the earth. Some of the people that have went there uh, will not go in the cemetery, but will go around it, because there is a hiking trail that does go around part of it. And they've actually reported and showed the burns on their hands where their cameras would get so hot while they were recording the cemetery, they would actually burn their hands. Wow. Okay. So, how many how many ghost hunters have went missing in this cemetery? Uh, as far as I can tell, there've been three, and not all of them were ghost hunters. Some of them were actually people just visiting their family that had passed away, their ancestors. Okay. Um. The um. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, as far as I can tell so far, some people started doing cult activities there. Doing, I'm not 100% sure if it's witchcraft rituals or what they were doing, but there's actually evidence of carvings on tombstones, carvings in the ground, where people were actually performing ceremonies for whatever cult they oh, were in. Oh, wow, that's scary. Uh, you can drive by the cemetery at night. You can see uh, some of the tombstones will actually glow. They actually glow. Now, has this uh, been... It seems like I've heard of Old Harden Road. Has this been highlighted on one of those shows from the Travel Channel or History Channel where they look into mysteries or or, um, or hauntings or paranormal? Yeah, it was on Haunted Places, the TV show Haunted Places. Okay, now that's the one that's on the Travel Channel, I believe. I think it is, yes. Okay. Well, that, that's, pre, that's pretty creepy, Adam, right there, in, just south of Fort Knox, no less. Yeah. Um, you've got a big army base right above it, and then right below it you've got, it's nicknamed the Gates of Hell Cemetery because people believe the ones that disappeared went straight to hell. That, you know, that's where I've heard of it from, now that you give me the, the Gates of Hell Cemetery. Um, yeah, now, have you had, have you been out there yourself? You've You've done a lot of, I guess research on different sightings and things. Have you been there for yourself? No, I haven't got to go there myself. I did get to watch a live stream from some friends of mine that were there one night. What was you could actually see the green orbs floating in the air. One of them was, had to be at least four inches around from side to side, just floating right there above the tombstone. Okay, that's the part where I turn around and run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, because I'll see all this on TV, and a lot of people watch these shows. It's amazing how popular these shows are. And, um, but the thing that gets me is, uh, yeah, I enjoy watching them. Uh, so, you know, in, in moderation, I guess, but I don't, I have no idea how I'd react if I actually saw something or, uh, I don't know, Adam. I think I'd probably be a little too afraid to stick around and keep recording, probably, knowing me, <laughs> but you never know. Uh, first time I ever went on one of those investigations, I did. I ran just as fast as I could and got back in the car as fast as I could get in that car. <laughs> no, where was this at? What investigation was this? Okay, this one was actually over on Dean, Dean, Kentucky. It was a 
Bigfoot sighting where there are actually footprints. We actually saw footprints. It's just me and another man with me, a buddy of mine. Now, we got there about dark. No big deal. You know, we'd been out in these woods. We used to hunt and everything like that, so we weren't really worried about it getting dark. We had all kinds of lights and everything. And we hadn't been there maybe an hour. It was probably around 10.30 at night. I mean, just, I mean, 10 o'clock at night, just getting real good and dark. But next thing we know, something shoved the side of the truck. And we couldn't see it in the mirrors. We couldn't. We was in the truck at that time. We could not see it. But something actually shoved the, the rear end of that truck sideways, like from driver's side to passenger side. We never could see what was going on. We were shining lights all around it. And... Oh, dumb us actually got out. <laughs> and we never could see what it was, but there was big old tracks everywhere around our, everywhere around his truck. Did you get photos? or? Uh, yeah, he's got plenty of photos. Okay. I don't know if I've got any left. But, uh, yeah, he had plenty of them back then. Um, they were enormous. They had to be at least 20 inches long. Well, speaking of big footprints, um, Melinda... Uh, she, Melinda Ellsworth, she's my sister, actually. She's one of the uh, founders, and she's a board member here at the foundation. Uh, she has a picture. I think she probably still has it on her cell phone. She had sent to me one day with, you know, the little emoji with the eyes wide open. Uh, yeah. I guess a, so much pollen settles on your car. Right on the hood of her car, going out to school, huge bear paw prints. Oh, God. I guess a bear had wandered right up to the house, kind of put its paws on the hood, looking around. You know, and then it's walked off. But can you imagine being that close to your front door? We're talking, you know, not even 10 yards. I, I know how uh, I was actually going to work one morning. It was about 6.30 in the morning. And but from my house to the car is only about like 40 feet. And I just got to the end of the front porch, just stepped a couple steps off. And there's a bar standing right in front of my car. Oh, right. <laughs> You know, as afraid as I would be to see a bear, I can imagine what I'd see if I saw a Bigfoot, you know. Um, actually, most people here in Central Appalachia, it's called the wood booger. And I never knew that. Even growing up here, I never knew it was called a wood booger until I was in Norton. And then I realized that's what people kind of over, over in that area call it. And there's actually a restaurant there called the Wood Booger Grill. And last uh, last week on uh, here on this podcast, Appalachian Shine, we had uh, Jamal Potter, who wrote a book called The Wood Booger Boogie. It's a children's book, and he does this whole wood booger dance, but it's so funny. But, uh, but yeah, just the popularity of, of the, you know, Bigfoot and the wood booger here in this region, it's, it's amazing. It, we've actually had the area highlighted on TV where you've had uh, from the Bigfoot Research Organization, BFRO. That, yeah. There used to be a show on TV. I don't think it's on there anymore, but um, they, they, they came out here and did an investigation over towards like Norton and Eastern Kentucky too. So, but no, but the, but yeah, that, uh, Hell's Gate Cemetery, that's one heck of a mystery. Um, certainly kind of creepy here. I, I wanted to bring one up. That's probably a little closer, uh, to home here in central Appalachia. Um, a lot of people, you know, if you're from central Appalachia, you may or may not have heard of Green Bank, West Virginia. It's actually over near the Virginia border. Um, probably a few counties up, probably closer toward Rockbridge County, I would say, over there in Shenandoah. 
than than it is here in central Appalachia, where I'm. You're over in the eastern Kentucky. I'm in uh, Tazewell County, Virginia, which is kind of uh, for those who we have a lot of people listening from West Virginia and you know, eastern Tennessee and so forth. Uh, I'm probably close to probably about an hour and a half drive from Kentucky and probably about an hour drive from West Virginia and probably about an hour drive from Tennessee. So I'm right in that little corner pocket of Virginia. But you cross, and this is on my bucket list to actually go to Green Bank, West Virginia. Um, why is Green Bank, West Virginia so mysterious? It's the quietest place in America, uh, Adam. Um when you drive in there, you can have your radio on, but as you're driving into that area, your radio starts going out and you have no, no signal for anything. You're, you, so your car radio fizzles out. You have no mobile phone use. You can't use your cell phone. And no one in the area has any kind of strong Wi-Fi at all. And the reason why this is such a quiet town is because there's this huge, giant telescope there. So they have to make sure that there's no radio signals or anything that interferes with this big giant telescope that basically it's a radio telescope. And what it does, Adam, they point this thing out into space and they listen for signals. So 20% of the time that they use this, they're listening for signals from uh, advanced civilizations. So they're kind of, in a way, looking for, you know, aliens a good percentage of the time. And this particular town, though, now you've you've probably heard of of Green Bank, though, haven't you? Yes. Okay. Now this is they say this is a place where high tech meets the 1950s, and when you say that to me, it, like immediately I kind of want to move there because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm driving past a river, I want to throw my cell phone out into it. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, as much as technology is such a good thing. I'll not get on a rant because I think it kind of rips a lot of us of our humanity and being personal with each other as if, you know, having a you know, social distancing ain't bad enough. Right. <laughs> we have technology getting to the way that none of us are kind of, you know, very, you know, social, social media is an oxymoron if you ask me, but green bank, they don't have this problem. So this huge telescope out there, it's about the size of a football field. Like literally you can walk down into it and walk all the way across. It and it's almost like the, a you know, big round version of a football field. I had I didn't know this until today, Adam, but this thing weighs more than seven thousand tons. Whoa! Seven thousand tons, and a ton is two thousand pounds. So translation, that's a lot of weight. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they can rotate this thing around three hundred and sixty degrees all the way around. But they have to have special made tires, and they're lined up all the way around so they can move this thing. Because it is that massive, and um, the but the but the thing about it is like even in town, you know, like like you can't have certain technologies out there because there's a there's actually a security guy that drives around trying to pick up your Wi-Fi. So if you have a really strong signal, or 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 you know if you turn your cell phone on, you're trying to you know, if you get a really strong signal somewhere, they'll come and tell you to turn it off because you're interfering with that particular um, uh, telescope. And I looked this up, Adam. This was, uh, and this is on greenbankobservatory.org. So you can go, anybody can go look up, you know, what they were doing. And this is a, you know, radio astronomy observatory. And I'm just going to read the very beginning of this under the history section. And, uh, and then I'll, then we'll move on to another mystery. But in 1954, a meeting was held in Washington, D.C., 
to discuss the, pos the possibility of establishing a new national center for radio astronomy within the United States. And by 1956, Associated Universities, Inc. was uh, contracted by the National Science Foundation to begin the construction of a new National Radio Astronomy Observatory in Green Bank, West Virginia. This would, not, this would be not only the first National Astronomy Observatory, but also the first national laboratory open to all scientists from around the world. Now, the reason it was put there, it looks like, is because of the, uh, um, the particular wide open uh, range of the hills. People can hear, you know, it's so wide open that that was the perfect place to put it. Um, now, here's how powerful this thing is, Adam. If, you, if it's snowing and you're pointing it up, that thing will actually pick up the signals off of snowflakes. Well, that's strong. Yeah. And then, but according to, uh, you know, anything that I've, you know, videos that I've watched on this, I watched a couple of short videos on this today and I'll, I'll post these videos up on the Facebook page for the foundation. Um, so anybody can go and watch these. I'll post these up tonight. But um, the, uh, what the, what the, what they did say was that if literally, if we ever hear of alien contact, it is most likely to happen. We're going to hear from them first right here in central Appalachia in Green Bank, West Virginia. If there's ever any signals that come from space, we're the first people right here in Appalachia that will hear from aliens. Now, how, how, how crazy is that? I like that. That is cool. Yeah. So when people so that always kind of when I was learning about this, I'd heard about Green Bank a couple of years ago. And this is on my bucket list to actually go to this summer. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about, well, you know, there's not a lot of technology or advancement in Appalachia, but actually some of the most advanced places are here. And Green Bank is one heck of a, an example of, of that kind of technology being used and, you know, just being a special, perfect location for it. So, yeah, I, I really love that mystery. The first time I heard that there was a town where you weren't allowed to have a cell phone, you had no Wi-Fi. Um, your TVs had to have antennas and, uh, it was like living in the fifties because we were looking for aliens and I thought, wow, now that's cool. I gotta, I could definitely gotta check that out. You know, not having to worry about having a cell phone, that's got promises. <laughs> that would solve about half my problems <laughs> right there. Yeah. The boss couldn't find me suffice then. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. True, man. True. So what, so what other um, mystery do you have available for us here, Adam? Okay, I talked about a bad one. Now I want to talk about a good one. It's, it, it's in Springfield, Kentucky. The place is called Valley Hill. It's actually owned by a lady named Iona Wright. Now this is near, this is near Bloomfield Road in Springfield, Kentucky, north of Highway 55. Okay, this is a spot that people go for miracles. For miracles, okay. Yes, um, this has actually been on Unsolved Mysteries TV show. No one has ever been able to solve this. People will go there. There will be showers of white and gold lights just falling on everyone. There have been reports of people being healed, having visions when they see this, when they're in this area. Um, 
people have said they have seen angels there in this one area. I mean, it's open. People can go there. Uh, you do need permission for that lady owns it. But it's very nice place. Extremely peaceful place. But everybody that goes there says that place is nothing but a, a miracle. So they leave with a godly experience and some sort of healing. Yes. Wow, that's incredible. Is there any books out there available on this? Or is this on your website? Yes, it's on the website. Uh, I don't know if there's any books. I know there have been many TV shows. I can't remember the episode it was on, on Unsolved Mysteries. But it has been on several of, of the paranormal research shows. And no one has ever been able to say why it happened. Okay. If you can find a video on YouTube, uh, let me know, and I'll put it up on the Facebook page. Because that, that's quite fascinating, too. Now, what uh, what is your website again so people know where to go look for the uh, mysteries over in eastern Kentucky? KYMysteriesOneWord.com Okay. All right. Yeah, so uh, KYMysteries.com. Yeah, because I've been to your website, and you've got all kinds of just plethora of information about strange occurrences from you know bigfoot sightings you know this you know the miracle um the location you're talking about um ufo sightings so there's all kinds of uh and that that's not even you know scratching the surface really there's so many locations uh to look at um in kentucky but yeah it's a good it's a good place to to go for if you're looking for anything in central appalachia too so definitely check it out you know, since you mentioned simple, uh, Central Appalachia, I actually got a report today of uh, the person called me. They saw a UFO last night at Bardstown, Kentucky. Three of them. Well, that's not too terribly far. That's on Mountain Parkway, isn't it? Bardstown? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I wonder, you know, that's a, I love driving across Mountain Parkway in Kentucky um, because it's so... Such a beautiful parkway, too. I mean, if you can tolerate all the road work they've been doing for who knows how long. Uh, if you, you don't pull your hair up because of that. But it's a beautiful drive, uh, especially in the fall. And I've often wondered as I drive through there, just, you know, kind of some of the, you know, these little small towns, every small town has secrets and mysteries and, and stories to tell. And, uh, you know, that's one reason I was, well, you and I both, we were involved in the foundation early on that, you know, that was one of the reasons for doing these things, so we could preserve these these mysteries and stories from towns that 20, 30 years from now may not be here because of economic issues. Uh, so, you know, it's important to, you know, as, as we drive through there, just as, as often as we can, see if there's local historians there. I'd love to have some of those local historians on this show to talk about you know, individual towns and tourism, things like that. And we are actually um, lining up some individuals to talk more um, public officials to talk more about tourism and economic opportunities and challenges and things like that from various parts of the region. So if you're a first-time listener, and that's kind of what you're looking for with, we're kind of a catch-all here, really, aren't we, Adam, with everything with Appalachia? Um, sure. Yeah, so we, we kind of want to make sure we cover our bases. Today we're having a little fun with the mysteries. Um, hey, Adam, I was going to ask you this. Uh, I, I did a little, uh, even though we're all kind of on lockdown and really not a whole lot going on for anybody, um, I did take care of something for the foundation today. I was going to ask, do you shop on Amazon very often? Yes. Okay. And I know a lot of people do, and it's and it's really tough time for folks because a lot of people haven't gotten a paycheck in a while and, and you know things like that. So yeah, I, I've never been one. I've never really 
even though I'm the president of the organization, one of the most uncomfortable things to do is ask anybody for money. And that's just probably my personal pride. I've never, because I don't, I've never asked anybody for a handout or anything, you know, so it's kind of, but I, you know, I had to start looking at it in a different light when we're running a foundation. And uh, I know it's tough times right now, um, but still a lot of us are still shopping on Amazon, sometimes for things we need that we can't find at our grocery store or, or wherever we're going, you know, Walmart, because so many things have been missing uh, off the shelves. But today um, I did make it uh, such that if you go to Amazon and you shop, a lot of people don't know this, Adam, but a portion of your purchases can actually go to a charity that you designate. And yes, I've Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, like that. So if you want to do that or like the Nature Conservancy or, or whatever, there's just thousands of charities out there, and you can pick one. Well, I registered the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement with Amazon today, and we have our own link, and I posted that up on our Facebook page. So if you, uh, and this is through what's called the Amazon Smile program, so that if anybody goes to Amazon and they're buying anything, I don't care if you're buying a book, you're buying toothpaste, whatever you're buying, clothes, shoes, uh, something for your Kindle. Um, I, I would ask that you go uh, to our website, to our Facebook page, and click on that link and just choose the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement as the charity that you want to support. Um, so even if you don't have any money to do a 5 or $10 donation, you know, any anything helps. It all adds up. But once a quarter, they tally up that total amount, and then 45 days later, um, they send it to our bank account. And that, that counts as donations. Now, just to give you an example, um, I looked up the Nature Conservancy. That's why I mentioned them earlier. And last year, they got somewhere in the ballpark of $3 million just from Amazon purchases. Whoa! Of all the people that chose their charity. Now, if we just had a fraction of that, Imagine what we could do as far as promoting tourism and arts and holding arts events to promote regional artists and, you know, promote tourism and, you know, put our best foot forward and promote the area for economic opportunity or education. Um, you know, the, so um, so if you think, like, it doesn't really matter, I'm just buying $5 worth something or $25 worth something, hey, it all adds up and it all goes in the pool with everybody else. So if you want to support our charity, um Go to when you when you sign up for Amazon when you're going to buy something on Amazon, um, just just choose that charity. Uh, again, the link is on our Facebook page, and I'm going to post that up consistently for the next few days. So if you go to Facebook and then look up Foundation for Appalachian Advancement, and it'll be right there, and you can click on it, and all you have to do is it's like two clicks, and you've picked it. Click on it from the foundation from the Facebook page, takes you to Amazon, then click on it there just to confirm it. It adds up, Adam. So hopefully, that sounds great. Yeah. So you know, a lot, so a lot of charities are small and they don't really know how to promote it. And I, have, I don't really know how we would get our name out there that much either. But the more people know that that's an option for them, you know, if you can't afford a donation and you're buying something on Amazon, yeah, just just kind of toss it in there to the bucket with everybody else. And you know, if we made a few hundred dollars, then great. You know. Um, We'll we'll spend it holding another arts event. We we had one this last summer in uh, Lebanon, Virginia, over in Russell County. Um, so I guess as soon as everybody stops the social distancing thing, we can have another one of those. And uh, and so I look so we really look forward to doing these things. And every penny counts. And if you do want to support us with a donation, if you can do that right now, we would really appreciate it. All of us that are that are board members or officers, 
no one here takes a dime, no one's salaried. You know, most of this we try to self-fund as best as we can. So everything you put in, you know, is going to go toward the effort of what our mission is. So if you want to make an old-fashioned donation by check, it is uh, you can make the check payable to FAA or Foundation for Appalachian Advancement, either one. And you can mail that to P.O. Box 397 in Richlands, Virginia. Zip code is 24641. Or you can just go to our website, supportappalachia.org. There'll be a link there where you can make a donation using your debit card or credit card. Uh, it goes through PayPal, so that's how we uh, get those donations that way, through the website. And uh, we talked to our web developer a while back. He's going to be working on kind of a new-look website for us here in the next couple of months. So hopefully we'll have that out for you, too. And uh, another newsletter coming up. And hopefully next week, another episode of Appalachia Shine. But, uh, Adam, uh, anything else you want to toss in here for us today before we sign off? I think it's great that you've got the foundation on Amazon. I really think that will bring a lot of attention to it. Well, I hope so. And anybody that sees us on Facebook, uh, feel free to share the link. You know, the more people that know about us, the better. You know, um, we have maybe 800 followers on Facebook. And I know some other Appalachian pages that have like 20,000, 30,000 followers. And that is awesome. I wish we knew how to get that attention. I have no idea. But, um, you know, but we're just like some folks that volunteer our time and 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 uh, and some of the money that when we can afford it. And hopefully it, uh, you know, in the long run, we'll be able to make a difference. And one of the one of these days we're going to have a podcast where we talk about some of the challenges that we've had. Because you and I and Gary Stratton, we talked before. He's another one of our founders. Uh, about some of the challenges and uh, economic issues and challenges in the region. But one of the things that our foundations tried to do is not lean so much on donations from individuals. We never really ask for money until we kind of need it, which is kind of counterintuitive to what most nonprofits do, but, but we just, we just don't. But um, we do have, we have put in for some grants for some pretty significant money and where we haven't had any big projects. I think that's hurt us from getting those, those grants, but, but we certainly have a big vision and it's one of these things where, you know, we're not here to do small things. You know, we want to do big things and you know, important things to promote this region and take care. So you can take care of all those kittens you've got hanging around. <laughs> I hear them all over there. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. box. <laughs> hey, that's all right. We'll get we'll have another episode with kittens. And then uh, I think later on this week, I'm supposed to have some company and I probably have a couple of dogs in the house. I don't know how my old cat's going to handle that, but we'll find out. May record that for everybody's laughter. <laughs> so, but uh, but this has been uh, you know, another episode of Appalachian Shine. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And, and check us out on Facebook and, uh, and our website, supportappalachia.org. We certainly thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. And thanks for sharing our mission with your friends and family. Until next time, everybody, take care. <laughs>